Good morning, happy Mother's Day, and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. One of the quintessential traits of a loving mother is being a peacemaker. Whether that's between members of her family, her extended family, loved ones, or neighbors, moms are peacemakers. Today, as we continue in our series on missions called Go to Everyone, we will see how our ability to serve on the mission field for Jesus is predicated on our maturity to live like Jesus towards one another. Before we can be peace bringers to the world, we must learn to be peacemakers in our churches. Thanks for joining us today as we dive into Paul's administration of the mystery of God's plan for humanity, starting in Ephesians chapter 2. As we are embarking upon this uh, series of educating ourselves and filling ourselves up, uh, preparing even to ask God, where would you have me go? Any, anybody willing to risk that? Uh, Kayla's life sounds pretty exciting, doesn't it? Getting married in Africa? I'm not sure. Woo-hoo. A little exciting for my taste. But what about you? Where, where is God calling you? Uh, the, the purpose of today's message, however, is really, I, I thought of, I, I, what's a Mother's Day message that I could share that is combined with a, a message on the mission of God? And it occurred to me that even as Jesus sends out his disciples, Jesus himself, as he's sending them on their mission, has to prepare them because there is a prerequisite to becoming a missionary. There's a prerequisite. Do you guys know what that term means? Prerequisite? It means something that needs to be achieved beforehand. Something that has to happen before God is going to use me for his glory out in this world. To draw men and women to repentance and to, and to him. There's something that is required of us. I was uh, riding in the car the other day with my kids. And uh, we have one of those uh, fancy little center folds in the back seat that folds down with cup holders. You know what I'm talking about? You guys have one of these, right? And, um, and one, I'm not going to name names, but one of my kids said that it was hers. <laughs> and the other one uh, said it was his. And uh, pretty soon in the back seat, they started yapping and then bickering and then mom and then dad, he's not. And then you, you guys have all been there, right? And on a Mother's Day message, what does a mom do? Right? Yeah. I don't make me ask your dad to stop this car, right? Um, my sister is actually here today. And uh, if there's any question as to the nature of siblings and rivalries, I feel free. You can ask her what that's like. And hopefully you have that experience in your life as well. It's unique within a family that we fight. Amen? It's unique within a family uh, that for whatever reason, uh, we kind of need our elbow room. We want things our way. And that sin nature that just permeates our hearts has you and I thinking more about ourselves than our neighbors. This is true. All right? And you can see this at a very young age. The smallest of kids want what's theirs. Right? I, I cut a slice of cake. For one, and the other one's not exactly the same slice of cake, and, and his is bigger than mine, and, and I want more for me, and this is something that just continues. You'd think we grow out of it, but we just get better at it, sneakier at it, <laughs> whispering about it. And, and the prerequisite for God's use of you in this world is his family to be unified turn around I say don't make me pull this car over 
Sometimes I feel like God in heaven is looking down at his kids saying, don't make me pull this church over. Because we have to get along. Uh, This message this morning is entitled, Peace in the Family of God. And just to even begin, we're going to be in Ephesians, but turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. I want you to see how Jesus himself had to wrestle through this. Mark chapter 10, as the disciples here are thinking, not of God's glory, but rather they are thinking as to how they will be glorified by being close to Jesus. Mark chapter 10. Page 1571 in the Pew Bibles. Or as Phil would have you know, after Matthew. So, uh, Mark chapter 10. Look, at, look with me in verse 35. Then James and John, so brothers, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now what kind of, what's going on here? Right? The, 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 this is two of them. Sneaking around from the other ten, right? We want you to do something just for us, Jesus. We're your favorites. Verse 36, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, check this out. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Who are they thinking about? This doesn't take a seminary degree to understand what's going on here, right? We all see what's happening here. There is this desire that they would be the ones who are closest to Jesus in glory. And so they sneakily, they go and they they go behind the back of the other disciples and they get Jesus alone and and do something for us. Don't ever start with that. Can you do a favor for me? Tell me what the favor is first, right? Before I'm going to do whatever it is. But that's how they come to him. Jesus replies, don't you know, you don't know what you're asking, he said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can they answer, just showing you the cluelessness of uh, the circumstance here. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Now look at verse 41. Right? Word starts to spread. Peter, maybe it was Judas. We don't know who it was, right? When the ten heard about this, What's your Bible say? They became indignant. Boy, that's a fancy word. That means peeved is what that word means. Not happy. Not happy, right? Jesus himself had to deal with this. The disciples, having seen the Messiah, walked and and learning and watching the miracles, they make this mistake of thinking too much about themselves. Thinking too much about their preferences. What they, hey, everybody hear me now? I'm preaching this morning. You gotta listen to this. They think too much about what they want and not about what the others would like. You will not have peace and you will not have passed the necessary prerequisite to be used on the mission of God. It starts here. Does everybody get that? It starts right here. If you can't do it here, Don't think you can do it out there. If you can't be loving and selfless to be willing to set aside your desires that what you want would come second for the sake of the person sitting across from you, then don't think you can do it out there. Does everybody get me now? 
All right, this is why this is my first sermon in this series. Because before we ever get to be missionaries, before we ever buy the plane ticket to Africa, before God's going to use you to show his glory to the nations, he wants to see it in your life with these right here. And his spirit is speaking to us today. His spirit is probably speaking to you. It's up to you to listen. It's just my job to preach. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. And as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to see the message that Paul gives for what Jesus has accomplished between the two primary dividers of Jesus' time. And, and just heads up, I'm going to move a little bit quick through this this morning, okay? So we've got to be pretty sharp today. I want to get through this because, uh, well, it's Mother's Day, so let's get going. All right, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Let me explain that real quick. So we're talking about Jews and Gentiles here. All right, the, the Jewish folks were circumcised, and they thought pretty highly of themselves for that. We, we belong to the covenant of God because we have followed his commands. And so we're better than you Gentiles. All right, that's the division. You have some people thinking higher of themselves, and even the Gentiles would think highly of themselves as well. Let's continue here in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Uh, everybody catch those five things? You can list them right here. Five things that even you and I were part of before Jesus, right? Separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. That was these Gentiles, but boy, verse 13 is awesome. Look at this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. That's, uh, if you're in the habit of underlining in your Bibles, that's the word to underline right there. Every time peace shows up, I want you to spot it, all right? For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, so here's the result. Now he's going to tell you the result of what Jesus has done. Verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What happens to the building if you don't build the bricks close together? What happens to it? She falls down, right? 
Yeah, if the bricks have these gaps, if these bricks say out oh, this far but no further, right? Is that building going to stand, church? It's not going to stand. Uh, the devil's number one goal against the church of God is to divide. It's to divide. A house divided what? Cannot stand. The devil wants nothing more than to speak very quietly right behind your ear trying to cause you to look across the aisle to find something that you could pick about your brother or your sister right here that just is irritating. Everybody have those, right? Just irritating. Um, sometimes when we were young, my sister would smack her gum. <laughs> oh, it drove me nuts. Right? And I can hear nothing else. I can hear nothing else but the smacking, right? That's the only thing I hear. And that doesn't make us get along better. Right? That doesn't unite the family. Those aren't the bricks getting... There's, there's division that will come from that. Because what happens is whatever my preference is becomes that which I fixate on. And I can't see beyond it. Whatever irritates me the most about somebody is the only thing I hear. And I let go of the rest of it. You think it's only with little kids this happens. I, I, I hope every one of you in here this morning are recognizing the way that this is a pattern that needs to get out of our lives. And the reason is because of what Jesus has done. So uh, here is a few conclusions and observations. First, uh, uh, we were once separated from God. All right, That's where we were. But number one, Jesus has made peace. Jesus has made peace. Verse 14, did you see it? For he himself is our peace. I want you to see how Paul writes to others in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Again, he writes to those in Romans. Awesome passage at the beginning of chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that means not by works. You don't come to God because you're good. You come to him because Christ is good. What's it say? Through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now here's the thing. Uh, Paul wants you to know very clearly that God has made peace with you through His Son. Guys, that's awesome. You, you need to know that God is right and just to be angry at sin. It's not cool to just redefine it as fine. Everybody's doing it, God. Everyone's doing it, so it must be fine. It's legal in Colorado or wherever, right? Whatever it is that you whatever it is that you would try to justify sin before God doesn't work. Because unrighteousness has no fellowship with God. You're separated. And so he is right in his anger and his wrath over our hard hearts. But check this. He has made peace with us through His Son. Now that's awesome. Right? Give me an amen. That's awesome. But that's not what Paul is saying here. The way in which Jesus had made peace, although it's true between us and God, is that He has provided peace, not vertically, but horizontally. God has provided peace with one another. I hope that as you have come to know the Lord better, you have recognized that whatever your relationships were with people in either your family or somewhere in your life, that you now have this desire to make them right. Does anyone have that? 
You know, it used to be before before Christ, I could just be angry and I just like being angry, right? And oh yeah, I could just have these wonderful little morsels in my mind of how much I hate that person. And when they do that and oh, they're going to get what they deserve, right? But when the Spirit comes to dwell in you and control you, you don't get to think like that anymore. Anybody with me on this one? Right? That God's desire for you and I is not that we just have a peaceful relationship on the vertical. But that we are drawn to reconcile every horizontal relationship. This is what Jesus has done. He has made a way for peace. If you don't believe me, look at the rest of verse 14. And this is my second point. The purpose of the peace is unity. The purpose of the peace is unity. Verse 14 goes on to say, For he himself is our peace who made the two what? What's it say? Verse 14, made the two into what? Into one. Into one. Now, if you're arguing with your spouse, you know, if you're having one of those, having a bad day, right? But you got to get in the same car with them and drive home. How much does it feel like one? It doesn't feel like it. Right? It doesn't feel like it. It takes a little bit of effort. It takes a little humility sometimes, right? And, and, and I hope you get a little bit better at this sort of uh, juggling with your spouse to know how you're a little wrong and he or she is a little wrong. But you know what? God has made a way for me to humble myself. Boy, if that's true within the family, you hear me now? If that's true within the household... Guys, that's true in our church as well. That's true here. And it's the prerequisite to missions. God's not going to use us out there if we don't get it together in here. So the purpose of the peace is unity. This is what Paul says in Galatians. He says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. You're not what you were. You're not this color and that. You're all Christ. All of us. Unified. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The purpose of the peace is unity. Third is this, peace was purchased through the cross. Peace was purchased through the cross. This is in verse 15 and 16. I'm in Ephesians 2, 15 says this, By abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and its regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. If you think that whatever it is that you're so hung up on about somebody is worth holding on to, you need to understand you are elevating that pet peeve above the cross. He has purchased the way for you to let this thing go. Let it go. Don't make me pull this church over, right? This, this is the idea. You've got to let these things go, you guys. I'm speaking to myself here and all of us. I sound a little bit preachy. I'm sorry. All right, I'm back. <laughs> the reason why I'm getting fired up about this is because Paul wants you to see very clearly that when you and I want to hold on to our differences, we're placing that above this. God forbid that we would do that. Look what it says, verse 16. And in this one body to reconcile both to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. We are, we are no right anymore. The price has been paid. And, and if you have trouble with that, just look at the cross. 
That moment when you are just irritated with somebody, when you had a bone to pick with somebody, just look at the cross. He has made a way for you to let those things go. Look what he says to the church in Colossae. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. So it wasn't you. You were dead. He made us alive. He forgave us all our sins. Having, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he has taken it away by a wall, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and the authorities and made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Peace has been purchased through the cross. Number four is this. Peace is given to those who were far away. I'm so thankful for Caleb being here uh, today, uh, going to Zambia. That's far away, right? That's far away. Uh, something in one of the videos that she showed, their purpose was uh, to encourage uh, new believers, right? And I think it said something like to, to set up maybe the scaffolding for their long-term missionaries, right? Um, I'm not sure if that'll be Kayla yet or not. I don't know if she's sure if that's going to be her or yet or not. But she's going to be a short-term setting up for the long-term of having an indigenous church. A functioning, growing, healthy, established church. That's not just supposed to happen in Africa, folks. That's supposed to happen here. That's the same thing we're doing here. To have a healthy, functioning, diversity of gifting, unifying by the Spirit, church. Peace is given to those who are far away. And I'm going to ask the question in a little bit here, but who, who might be far away in your heart? Right? It, it, you don't need to go to Africa. You don't need to go across an ocean. You may have somebody right now that just, you know what, you're not welcome right now in my heart. You're just not welcome because they're far away. The reality is Christ came and preached to those who were far, leaving for us a model that you call those who are far. That's who God wants you to go to. Who are you sitting farthest away from this morning? Sometimes it happens in church, you know. I'm not sitting by that person. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the one that you are called to, to love, whoever you're furthest from. Uh, Jesus tells a story um, in the Gospels in Luke 15. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country, go after the lost sheep and finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. What did Jesus do? He chased you down. He went after the lost. He went after those who were far away. Uh, folks, he, he calls nothing less to his church to also go after those who are far away. Lastly, now that you belong, uh, you now belong to the family of peacemakers. So it, this is your calling. Our, our text this morning shows us that this is exactly what has been achieved through the cross. That he has made peace. So that no matter your differences, in Paul's day it was Jew-Gentile. That was a big deal. Sometimes today it's Republican-Democrat. That's a big deal. It goes far beyond this. And it's much more subtle than that. The little irritating ways the devil wants you to focus in on the smacking instead of the person. For whatever measure of grace you want for yourself, you need to extend to those. Not are easy. Don't love those who are easy. Everybody can do that. God wants to call you to love those who are harder to love. And he's going to turn you into something beautiful for that. And then you will have accomplished the prerequisite to be a missionary.
Colossians 3, 14 and 15 says, Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to what? Say it loud. You are called to what? Peace. Called to peace. To live in harmony with one another. You are called to peace. So you're part of the family um, means that you need to be a peacemaker. All right? Not a pot stirrer. A peacemaker. Not a rock kicker. A peacemaker. Should I say that again? We got it. Say amen if you got it. All right. Here here, um, a couple of last things I want to show you. Paul shows us three ways to help you with that. Because maybe you're hearing me this morning. I hope you're hearing me. But you're like, so, Pastor, how? I'm convinced this is something that needs to happen. How do I do this? All right. I want you to see from the text. and Look in verse 19. I'm still in Ephesians. Three things that he gives you. The Bible, Jesus himself, and the church. In verse 19, he says, uh, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, right? So if you belong to his house, you get to be a peacemaker. But look at verse 20. Built on what? The foundation of the prophets and the apostles. What is that? What is the foundation of the prophets and the apostles? As this. This is what you are built on. So at any point that you feel like, uh, man, this is hard, get out your manual. Get out the how-to guide. Open it. Study it in a group session. Come out midweek. Call your pastor. You can text me anything. Get in his word. He has given it to you as a resource to help you on this level. Secondly, look what it says as well. The um, foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The do you know what the cornerstone does? It, it, it's not so much it holds it up. It, it's the first piece that you place so that it sets the line on a perfect right angle for all the other bricks. Every other brick lines itself up to the cornerstone. That's the purpose of the cornerstone. If Paul says that Christ is our chief cornerstone for the church, simply means this. Line yourself up with Christ. How did Jesus live? His spirit lives in you right now. What would his spirit ask of you right now? That is the help. What would Jesus do with this individual? What would Jesus do with this neighbor? What would Jesus do with this family member of mine? You have the Bible. You have Jesus as your example. And then lastly, he says you have the church as well. Verse 21. In him the whole building is joined together. And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together. To become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I long more than anything to have a church that shines to the community that says with like a throbbing heartbeat, Christ lives in Sagola. Amen? Amen? Christ lives here. That the world sees that. It will never happen until it happens in our own family. And so I, I, wanna, I just want to even beg of you today. To challenge you to say these words, because you've been given peace, you need to become a peacemaker. And, and if for you this is just something you can't do, then call me because I need to explain to you the peace that you've been given. Hear me now. You can't give what you haven't first received. Did everybody hear me on that? You cannot give what you haven't first received. And so you need to increase the vision of peace for what God has done with you before you're able to really reconcile those relationships around you. But since you've been given peace, you need to become a peacemaker. And my challenge to you this morning is, uh, whoever is far away uh, in your heart and in your mind and in your life, that's, 
That's who God is calling you today to look to. Last verse is this, Romans 15, towards the end of the book. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning.